All right, all right, all right. If you have your Bibles, grab them. Turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. As I said a minute ago, we, uh, we finally finished our series uh, through Genesis. We're going to do a quick four-week series we call it Entrusted. This week we're in a Proverbs chapter 11. And then after this four weeks, we will start a summer series that will take us through the summer end of the school year, which I'll tell you about shortly. Proverbs chapter 11 is where we'll be at. Turn your Bibles there. You may remember the story, the story about a land that was being tormented by an evil witch. And the people, anytime they would see the witch, they would flee from her. They were scared to death of her. They were te- she was terrorizing the land and everyone would run and hide and they didn't know what to do. Until they heard word that only one, that there was only one who could save them from the wicked witch. And that was this great wizard from a faraway land. And the only one who could go and talk to the wizard was the one wearing the ruby red slippers. And so Glenda, the good witch, who could have gone herself to the wizard and asked him to defeat this wicked witch, instead, along with the munchkins of Oz, entrust the ruby red slippers to a teenage girl from Kansas who flew in on a house. And she puts the fate of Oz in the hands of Dorothy and her little dog, too. But like Dorothy, God too has entrusted us not with ruby red slippers to save uh, the land of Oz, but rather he has entrusted to us four things that we'll look at over the course of this uh, next month. Four things that he has given to us, entrusted us with, that we might use them to push back darkness. That we might use them to advance the kingdom of light of his son and push back darkness. Over the next four weeks, we'll look at these things, and it's our job to use these gifts God has given us for good. So over the four weeks, we'll look at money today. Aren't you excited? Preacher going to talk about money. Great. We're talking about money. We'll talk about children next week for Mother's Day, then spiritual gifts, and then our time. Today, we look at money. Particularly, we're going to look at the call of God to be generous. So let's look at Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25, and see what the words of our God say. Starting in verse 24, it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings a blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. This is the word of the Lord. You see, generosity is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Generosity does not make you a wealthy person. It makes me literally so angry when I hear uh, preachers, whether on TV or wherever, uh, get up and talk about, hey, if you'll give this, the Lord will give you back tenfold of that. It literally infuriates me. For them to uh, talk about the Bible in such a way that the way to happiness, the way to joy is more money. And that if you would just give some to me or to the church, then God would give you more. That's ludicrous. That is not the story of the gospel. That's not the story of the Bible. 
Generosity does not make us rich, and that is not the reason we should be generous. It is not the reason we should give. The reason we should give is not to fatten our own wallets. We don't give to get more in return. That's not generosity. That's investing. To get in return is not generosity, but an investment. And so as we turn to Proverbs and look at the wisdom it has from us, for us, one thing I want to say about this is that what is wisdom? What in, in the Proverbs, what is it? Sometimes people make a huge mistake as they read the book of Proverbs because they'll look at a verse like this one that says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And they take that as a promise, meaning that if I do this, it'll happen. Proverbs are not promises, they're wisdom. Meaning that they are the combination of knowledge, understanding, experience, and rightly applying all three. So the book of Proverbs is here to give us wisdom. It is the voice of Jesus speaking wise counsel over his people. This is the way you should live. Follow these things and it will go well for you. Often though, we are so bad at receiving wisdom, right? Like, like if our parents say it or our grandparents say it, not true. But if our 13-year-old friend says it, it's the gospel fact. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if a trusted adult wise source says it, ah, eh, maybe. But if our 16-year-old buddy thinks it's true, yes. <laughs> not wisdom. Sometimes we idiotically say things like, you know, I just got to learn for myself sometimes. I just got to, you know, everyone's telling me this, but sometimes I just got to learn it the hard way. No, you don't. You don't have to learn it the hard way. You can learn from someone who's already learned it the hard way. We don't have to be like that. We can grow in wisdom. We can learn to listen and pattern our life after the voice of Jesus who gives us wisdom. See, the reason we should listen to the wisdom of Jesus, the reason we should uh, do what he says even when it goes against what our friends say, even when it goes against what seems right to us, is because he created the world and he knows the rules by which the world is governed. We think we understand how all the math and how the way the world works, but he invented the world and he knows how it works. He has more knowledge, understanding, and experience than we could fathom. So let's listen to him. Here is the wisdom the proverb we just read is trying to tell us. There are two ways for you to live. When it comes to your money, there are two ways you can live. You can live a generous life or a greedy life. There's two ways to handle your money and your stuff. And then it shows us what happens depending on which way you live. If you're generous, this will happen. And if you're greedy, this will happen. Let's look at greed first. Verse 20, the second half of verse 24 says, Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You know, we experience experience greed early on in life. It's not something we've got to be taught, right? Like when I look at my kids all the time, they are so greedy. Like there can be a toy sitting here that this kid wants nothing to do with, but when the other kid wants it, oh, now I want it too, right? Or ju just this week, Lewin, who's my almost two-year-old, had, had a little, you know, little cup of, of uh, cookie crisp cereal, dry cereal, and he was, you know, eating them. And the girls would want to come over and get one. And when they did, he went, yeah. When I reached my hand in, it was cool though, right? Because we're bros, right? It was fine. And so I could reach in and I could hand one to the girls. And that seemed to be okay with him. But when they tried to reach in, he was not having it. 
I don't know about your perfect children, but mine are, mine are greedy. <laughs> they don't like to share. We naturally live for ourselves. You know, uh, little confessions. Often when I walk into the movie theater, particularly with a big group of people to go see, you know, uh, some new big movie out like Avengers Endgame. Have you seen Avengers Endgame? All right. Everyone dies. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But when I, when I go to the movie, often I will position myself in the right order to make sure I sit in the middle. <laughs> right? Because I don't want to sit on the end. I want you to sit on the end. I want to be in the middle because I'm greedy. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. How is it possible to hoard everything that you have or own or make, never give it away, and yet, according to this proverb, still not have enough? How is it possible to to hoard, to not give anything away, to keep, and yet still only suffer want? It seems backwards. It seems that if I keep for myself, if I store it up for myself, I should eventually get to the place where I have everything I need and I want for nothing. But what wisdom is telling us is that if you hold tightly your stuff with clenched fists, you will find that you are wanting and that it is a bottomless pit, that you are always hungry and never full. No matter how much you take in, it will never fill you up. You see, when you need money or stuff or things to make you feel happy or to make you feel secure, no matter how much you have, it will never be enough. There's some of you in this room, and you don't go out and you, you don't spend a lot of money. You don't have nice, fancy cars or things, but you save. And saving is a good thing. Student, saving is a good thing. Save. But saving can, for some, become an unhealthy thing. Some of you should be spending money on particular areas in your life, on this or that, or your kids or something. You should be more generous with your money, but instead you store it away. Because for you, as long as you have enough money set aside, as long as you have enough money stored up and have a nice nest egg, then you feel safe. It becomes your security. It becomes uh, knowing that I have this helps me sleep at night. If anything happens, I'll be okay. I've got this. It whispers to your soul, I'll protect you. And then we put our trust in our bank account, not in the Lord. And what happens when you do that? What happens when you store it up to make yourself feel safe? You're never able to give it away. Because to give it away is to give away the very thing that makes you feel safe and in control in the world. So you can never be generous. So you keep all your money. You never bless anyone. You never give to the church. You never sacrifice for others. And what wisdom is telling us in this proverb is no matter how much money you save, you will never feel like you have enough. The control and security that you seek will be a fleeting thing. It will be like trying to hold water in your hand. It will just simply run through your fingers. All of the money in the world cannot fill the great depths of your heart. Ebenezer Scrooge, that popular figure, had all the money a man could want, and still it wasn't enough. And instead of turning him into someone who felt safe, who felt at ease, it rather it turned him into a mean, greedy, crotchety old man that no one wanted to be around. You know, it's hard to know when you're greedy. Like, like when you commit adultery, it's not hard to know, right? Like you don't roll over in the bed and go, oh, you're not my wife. 
Right? That doesn't happen. When you, when you commit adultery, you know it. But when you are greedy, you don't often see it. It hides itself from you. So uh, as a pastor, I've had all kinds of people come to me to confess all sorts of problems and sin in their life. And honestly, nothing surprises me at this point. You come tell me anything, I go, no, okay. But you know what no one has ever come to me and said? Man, pastor, I just feel like I spend too much money on myself. No one has ever said that to me. No one has ever said, man, I got too much money. I don't know what to do with it. No one has ever come to me and said, I really... I really spend too much money on myself. I think my greed for money is harming my family and my soul, and the people around me. You know why no one has ever done that? Because no one sees it. No one can look and see their own greed. It hides itself from its victims. You can be so blind to it to think that you're actually generous when in fact you're greedy. Not only is greed withholding for yourself, Greed can also present itself in giving to yourself. Not only is it just storing up, but it also, you can give away, that's self-serving. Right? You can have the appearance of generosity, but not really be. For example, in 2016, in this heated presidential election that we had, had a, a buddy of mine's brother um, uh, was deathly afraid of Donald Trump being elected. And so he didn't make much money. This was kind of a broke college student, but he donated $3,000 to Hillary Clinton's campaign. On the outside, you might look at that and go, man, that's generous. He doesn't have that much money. He gave all that money away to this campaign. But on, when you look at it on the inside, you see, no, actually, he just was so scared that this was going to happen that he wanted to give to this. So it didn't happen. He was giving to himself. I don't remember if I've told you the story, but it's always a fascinating one to me, the story about this peasant who comes, to, comes before the king with this giant carrot. Will, will Barrowing, Will Barrowing, is that a word? wheelbarrowing in this giant carrot and he gives it to the king and says, oh king, live forever. You've been so kind and gracious to us. This is the giantest carrot I've ever uh, grown and I wanted to give it to you because you've been so good to me. Thank you, king. The king says, thank you, peasant. Uh, You're such a great farmer. I'm going to give you all this this land that I have over here. I'm going to give this to you so you can continue to prosper. Oh, thank you, king. Well, watching this happen was one of the nights, and he sees this happen. He goes, man, if the peasant can get land for a carrot, what might I get from the king if I give him my prized horse? And so the next day he comes before the king and says, oh, king, live forever. You're so great and mighty and awesome, and I just wanted to give you my best horse to show you that. The king looked at him and he said, thanks. And uh, the, the knight looks at him kind of puzzled and doesn't understand and, and the king, being perceptive, says, do you know why you don't get anything in return? The knight said, no, I don't. He says, the peasant gave a carrot to the king, but you gave a horse to yourself. See, there's a way in which we might give in order to receive a benefit. And that's not generosity, that's buying something. It's easy to, to give away stuff when you're going to get something out of it. But generosity is something we give expecting nothing in return. Anyone can purchase something. John MacArthur, pastor, says this. God made all of his creation to give. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the earth, the plants to give. He also designed his supreme creation, mankind, to give. But fallen, sinful man 
is the most reluctant giver in all of God's creation. See, we come out of the womb naturally with clenched fists wanting to keep what's ours. And it takes a work of God to change us because greed will leave you rich, but always wanting more. Now let's look at generosity. Verse 24, the first half to 25 says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. The question of generosity is, do you give of your money or your time or your stuff for nothing in return? You see, generosity in the Bible is not concerned with the amount that you give. It's often more concerned with the amount you keep. There's a scene in the Bible where there's people lined up putting money in the offering plate in the temple. And there's this little old woman who comes up and has two copper coins. And she puts them in the offering plate. Two little bitty copper coins, uh, hardly any, like two pennies, puts them in there. And Jesus watching tells his disciples she gave more than everyone else. She gave more than everyone else. She gave out of her poverty. She gave all that she had. Generosity is not about the amount that you give. It's about a heart that doesn't cling to our stuff for security, but lets it go. The Gettys, who are modern hymn writers, who write some of the songs we sing, have an awesome line in one of their songs, and it says this. It's not what you give, but what you keep that the king is counting. And guys, think about that for a minute. What if we were judged? What if, what if our generosity was judged not off how much we gave, but on how much we kept for ourselves? Would we then be found to be generous? It's not about amounts because we all make different amounts of money. The question is, do you cling to your stuff? Do you spend it all on you and store it up? Or do you give it away asking for nothing in return? See, true generosity gives freely, expecting nothing back. There's no credit, no perk, no influence, no outcome. The most obvious lesson in the teachings of Jesus is that there is no happiness to be found in having or getting anything, but only in the giving away of it. It's upside down from the way our world is, right? Our world sees take, get, increase. But the Bible says give away, decrease. and That's how you increase. It seems backward to us. How can you get richer by giving away everything? The point is not to get richer. It's not about making more money. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preacher, says this. In all of my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that uh, it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. See, I've never met a generous person who was worried about money, no matter how poor they were. My great-grandmother, we called her Grand Murray. I have no idea why we called her Grand Murray, but we called her Grand Murray. And uh, Grand Murray was so poor that <laughs> when they were growing up, when, when my mom was growing up, they would put a big tubs outside to catch rain so they could have water to take a bath in. And she, she, she didn't hardly have any money, but when they would be driving down the street and they'd see a homeless person, she'd pick them up. She'd bring them to the house. She'd feed them. She'd give them a place to stay that night. She'd wash their clothes and she'd send them out with a belly full of breakfast the next morning. 
when she would see us, she would spend everything that she had to buy us coloring books and books and all the different kinds of things kids want. She would lavish us with gifts, and she had no money, but she found a way to bless us. She was a woman who was full of joy, that we never saw her worry. She never cared, but she was more full of joy and happiness than anyone I've ever met. And do you know what she loved to talk about the most? Jesus. You see, her treasure was not of this world. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be. Her treasure was not in money or in stuff. It was in Jesus, and her life was evidence of that. You see, generosity leads to our joy. You want to be happy? You want to have joy? Don't hoard, give. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Can God bless you with financial prosperity? Absolutely. And let me be clear, there is nothing wrong with having money. There is nothing wrong with having nice things. Money is not the root of all evil, but loving it is. Finding your worth in it is. Finding your security in it will ruin you. So let us desire the deeper, greater thing, joy. Joy that's not mere happiness. Happiness can be stolen, right? You wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you get sick, tragedy strikes, happiness is gone. But joy is unmoving. It can't be stolen. And see, when you meet a generous person, they are often marked by joy. And when you see a generous person, you look at them and go, man, I want what they have. How do I get that? How much do I got to spend? What do I got to do? How do I get what they have? Remember the first person I met who was like this was a guy named Tony when I was 18, 19 years old. And, and he would, uh, we'd go out to eat and he'd pay for my food or, or he'd buy this or that. And I'd say, man, how do you afford all this? What do you, he goes, it's just money. I can make more of it. And when he said that to me, it's just money. I can always make more of it. I get paid every Friday. I was like, here I am always freaking out about money and counting and all this. And he's just, man, I can't take it with me. Better spend it now. And he was someone so full of joy. I wanted to, I wanted to have that. But here's the thing, to, to test the theory. To see if the Bible's true, that to give is better than to receive, and and that's how you find joy. Man, that's risky, because the only way to test a theory is to give something away. See what happens. Some of the joyous people in my life are the people who, remember one time, Kate commented on a lady in our church's necklace. She's like, man, I just love your necklace. When we got home, it was hanging on our doorknob. People who, when you say, man, I love that, love, love that watch you got. And they're like, here, you want it? Like, genuinely, <laughs> just give it, just give it away. I don't need it. You can have it. Or the people who are marked with much, with so much joy. Do you remember the rich young ruler in the Bible? This guy who uh, comes to Jesus and he wants to follow Jesus, right? He's like, Jesus, I've done all these things. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, great. I want you to follow me too. What do I got to do, Jesus? He says, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. He's like, uh, can't do that. <laughs> because who would I be? I didn't have this stuff. It's too hard for him because he did not think Jesus could replace what his money could buy him. You see, when we lay down our money, 
Not only does it fill us with joy, it satisfies us, and it gives us contentment. You know the moment after a long day at work when you come home and and you eat a good dinner and you sit back in your chair, just exhale. It's just like a, a, a day accomplished. Or when you complete a challenging class and it's finally over, or when you are building something, it's finally constructed, it's finally done. See, when we live generous lives, it does not result in financial panic. It results in satisfaction. It costs you something, but the reward is worth it. See, when you're generous with what you have, you're living out how God created you to be. And when we live out how God created us to be, the world finally seems right. And we are content, at peace, joy. We're okay. We're not freaking out. I love the verse that every Christian athlete in the world uses, you know, you know, to talk about how they can go score a touchdown or run fast or whatever. You know the verse I'm talking about, Philippians 4. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's not a verse about I can make a touchdown. It is a verse about no matter if I have a lot or a little, Jesus has me. I really enjoy rock climbing. It also freaks me out sometimes, but I enjoy it. And one of the things I really enjoy is taking little kids rock climbing or youth rock climbing, and we'll send them up the wall, and they'll get about three-quarters of the way up, and they'll just be glued to that thing, you know. And then they'll be frozen. I love it when they get frozen. They're like, I can't move. I want to come down. And they want to start like climbing down. It's like, just let go. Uh-uh. Nope. Just let go. I got you. The rope's got you. Uh-uh. Right? And they're so terrified. They're clinging to the rock. They think it's safe here. They don't trust the rope. But finally, when they work up the courage, and they, one foot, the other foot, one hand, and they'll, okay, and they finally let go. And they realize, and they're just hanging there, and the rope's got them. They can rest, and then they can climb on knowing if they fall, they're safe. You see, contentment is not found in how much or how little you have. Contentment is found in letting go of your stuff, of your money, and realizing the world didn't end. You're not in financial crisis, but that God is holding you up and that you feel safer and better than you ever did before. It's the only when you know that the rope has you can you enjoy the climb, just like only when you know that it's not your money that has you, but God has you, can you finally let go and enjoy life the way it was meant to be enjoyed. Only then can you be generous. Verse 4 in this text says, Riches do not profit on the day of wrath. Verse 28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. You see, greed calls to us, but it never gives us what we want. It is a siren call. You know the mythical creature, the siren, who would tempt sailors by their beautiful voice to go toward the island only to wreck and die. Money is a siren call to us that promises to hold us up but always fails. And see, there is a day coming when we will be laid bare before God. He will see us for who we are and not what we can buy 
and he will truly judge us. And on that day, our money cannot help us. And so you can cling to money or you can cling to Jesus, but you can't cling to both. As Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You can either serve God or money. I read a quote this week and it said, I am concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you on the last day. I fear uh, there are many hearing me who may not know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with his lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money now. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Riches do not profit on the day of wrath. So how can you tell if you're generous? Say, Brent, I feel like I'm generous, but I don't know. How can I know? Follow the money. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do with our money reveals what we love. You've heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is. But in reality, we always put our money where our heart is. Maybe you hoard it for security. Maybe you spend it as quickly as you can get it. Say, Brent, how can I change? How can I be generous? The only way for you to be generous is for you to see the generosity of God. Think about this. Jesus, who is God, left heaven. He left glory. He left riches. He left treasure. He left power. He left authority to come to earth and live as a poor carpenter. He left all of that behind so that he could be mocked, abused, poor, hungry, cold, and killed. And so you ask, why would Jesus suffer? Why would he give up his riches? Why would he be so generous as to to leave all that behind, to die a sinner's death and be separated from God in a literal hell? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he leave all of that and go through all of that? Because you are the treasure of his heart. He would pay all of that because he treasures you. Every other treasure in this world will insist that you die for it, but only Jesus would come die for you. See, to the extent that you understand what God has given you in Christ, will it free up your clenched fists and open up your palms to be a generous person? And only then will you find life. You see, greed only leads to wanting and needing more. It leads to having more and more and always feeling empty. But a generous life is rooted in the gospel. It's one that pours out, that gives much away, and no matter how much you lose or give away, you always feel full. So let our prayer be this. Lord, when we cling to what we have, rip it quickly from our grasp. Rip it away so that I cling to nothing but you. You see, we may not be a teenage girl from Kansas, and we may not be entrusted with saving all of Oz, but the God of the universe has entrusted you with all the riches he's given you. He's entrusted them to you so that you might use them to further the kingdom of light and push back darkness. And the question that you must answer this morning is what will you do with what God has entrusted to you? Will you store it up for yourself and never be full? Or will you live generously 
and use what you have to love people, serve people, and push back darkness. You see, we can only be generous when we see just how generous God has been to us in Christ. And if you do not know the generosity of God already, it's no wonder you have a hard time being generous. I'd want to keep my stuff too. But today, today you can know the God who treasures you. Despite all of your failures, despite all of your sin, despite uh, the brokenness in your life, that he still treasures you and was willing to pay the ultimate price to get you. Want to know why you're not generous? Maybe it's because you don't know him. But today you can. Today you can know the love of God like you've never known before. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We come to you this morning asking for you to make us generous people. People who do not cling to what we have, but who willingly give it away. Because we know that in the giving it away, Lord, you use us, you bless us, you fill us up. Not in giving us more wealth, but rather giving us joy, contentment. So God, we pray that you would enable us to be people who are generous, who help others, who serve others. Lord, who are generous to their church, but not just generous to their church, who are generous with their children, generous with their parents, generous toward their grandparents, generous towards strangers. We freely give because you have given us all things. We can give because you've given us everything and we are content with what we have because we are blessed in you. If you're here this morning and you do not know the generosity of God and Jesus, you do not know the love that he has for you, I'd love to share with you about it. There's men up here that I'd love to share with you about it. If you have anything that you need to pray about in this room this morning, I'd love to invite you to just come up here, kneel and pray. I'd love to pray with you. These men would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. I pray you'd have the courage to do that. God, give us the courage to respond. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, stand and sing. is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love and cause. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flows at the cross. And I will trust in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. 
the summer flowers we fade and die fade youth and beauty hurry by but life eternal calls to us at the cross I will not boast in wealth or mind human wisdom's fleeting life, but I will boast and only rise at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. Trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him, and I will rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. Two wonders here that I confess My worth and my unworthiness My value fixed, my ransom paid At the cross I rejoice in Trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. If you're a guest with us this morning, I'd love to just get to know you real quick. Uh, I'm going to be standing in the back. I'd just love to shake your hand, say hi to you real quick. Um, we have our Cinco de Mayo fundraiser for our Uganda mission trip tonight. Sign up for that. Make sure you're here. 530? 530. We're going to eat and buy stuff. All right. And uh, what do you want to do with the chairs? We, uh, we're going to put these two chairs up. We'll leave these alone. All right. Love you guys. Peace out.